0: If you're gonna be, if you're gonna be bold and brazen in your own career and whatever else you do, you better be able to take hits. And uh, I've told people the same thing: if you can't laugh at yourself, everyone else will do it for you.
1: Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment, who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humor. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this episode of the Humorology podcast is a renowned author, trainer and promoter. As one of the world's most respected corporate consultants, he's co-authored one of the most seminal books on sales and influence in the business. He is the president of the Society of Neuro Linguistic Programming and manages the international system of licensed trainers internationally, as well as co-training with Dr. Richard Bandler. He's a native of New Jersey who has a natural nuanced nous. His voice may initially sound like he could be a regular cast character from The Sopranos, but if you've ever trained with him and heard his fantastically wonderful facility for linguistics and laughs, you would never, in the words of Tony Soprano, forget about it. John Laval, welcome to the Humorology Podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Paul.
0: Great to be here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, John. We've known each other for a while and I've always been a fan of your work. I'm I'm a really huge fan of your book that you wrote with Richard, Persuasion Engineering. What part do you think that humor plays in persuasion?
0: Uh, Probably probably the biggest part of all, I would think. Um, I've been using humor, as far as I can remember, from from when I was a kid, whether you want to persuade somebody or anything. Um, But it it all really has a lot to do with, because people have asked me the questions, you know, uh, know, why do you use humor? How do you use humor? Blah, blah, blah. It's not something I've ever planned on doing. It seemed to be kind of natural for me when I was young. So if I was going to persuade people, well, the first thing I'd have to notice would be, is it going to be just with one person? Is it going to be with a group of people? You know, what's my what's my basic plan for this? And uh, and trust me, I've messed up sometimes to attempting to use humor <laughs> in a persuasive situation. Um, but most of the time it works out.
1: If you can go a little bit more into how you use humor in, in order to persuade and how you because I've sat in on many of your uh, amazing lectures and your amazing trainings. And there's so much humor in there. Why are you doing it? Is it, is it state change?
0: It's all about state change. And it's also about group um, rapport, let's say that, although that takes a little bit longer sometimes, especially if I'm overseas coming from New Jersey, you know, it takes a little bit longer. Um, but I've got that pretty well down now, and uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to mention that the person who probably did me the biggest favor about you know being who I am, uh, because for a while coming you know getting overseas, I would I would try to, which wasn't very easy to do actually, try to try to you know change my New Jersey accent and and all those things, and then a bunch bunch of years ago, and I know Paul McKenna real well, and I knew Michael Green and those guys. And uh, Richard said, hey, why don't you bring Laval over? And Paul said, oh, I don't know, man. You know, he's got that New Jersey, that Soprano thing going on. I don't know, Richard. I don't think that's going to go really well in London. And Richard, of course, said, well, let's find out. I thought at that, and that was a really good moment for me, actually. And I, I thank Paul for that because it, that, that, that gave me the opportunity to capitalize on my New Jersey-ness, you know, and use it. Because I figured, hey, what better place? I'm going to London. Why not? And so, uh, and they would always introduce me, well, you know, you would think he's from the Sopranos and yada, yada, yada. And I would start off with saying, I'm, New- I'm John LaValle, I'm from New Jersey. It's the attitude capital of the world. And, uh, and then I would tell them, I said, and a lot of, I'd do it, i just say, a lot of people ask me if I watch the Sopranos and I tell them, no, we are the Sopranos.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And that would get people to last of course laugh because they you know they're all making those connections kind of thing but the real thing about it is, the, is about state change and uh, and that's based upon and i don't get too technical about this because i'm not i'm not i have a scientific mind but i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor or anything like that um it's all about neurochemistry because if you can get people laughing it changes their neurochemistry. They start making a little bit more dopamine, a little more serotonin You know all these neurochemicals. And, uh, and if we can get people to do that, and I thought about this for years and years, if we can get people to laugh, at least while they're learning and get that state change, then they're going to learn faster, quicker, easier, and remember things. And, uh, and at least it seems like they do, as long as we can keep them in that state.
1: You you talked about uh, that you've been doing it since you were a kid, and you would go. Do you think that actually there is there is uh, a basic DNA of people who are funny? They hear funny. They they are. Were you that funny kid who was always, you know, saying something a wise guy, as they say, it, you know, in class?
0: Well, no, not in class, not so much. I went to parochial school. I went to Catholic school, oh. and uh, oh yeah. And uh, uh, I just remember making it through Catholic school. And I, I tell people, I, I ask people in classes, I say, did you go to, because I went to parochial school, raise your hand, did you go to the same one I went to? And they all look at me like, well, how can I go to the same one you go? But that's got them searching in their brains, you know? And I say, well, I went to Our Lady of Perpetual Torture. <laughs> right. And then they laugh. And I say, you know, and then, and my first grade teacher's name was Attila, the nun. See? <laughs> and they laugh. So, so so, that kind of sets all of that up. But the truth is, um, I got to tell you, most people that I know, at least in New Jersey, as I was growing up anyway, have a sense of humor. First of all, we're very direct. You know, if you say to me, hey, how do you like my tie? We don't say, gee, I don't know, maybe if it had a different colored jacket with it. No, no, we go, I like it or it sucks. Those are your choices, you know.
1: So what makes you laugh, John?
0: <laughs> Everything. <laughs> just about everything i can find humor seriously i can find humor in lots of things uh, and and i can say that easily because i don't i don't try that much to create humor uh something brand new out of it i feed off an audience or and the audience could be one person so i feed off of them and uh that's how I. That's how I, I. I can develop something very, very fast to make it to make something humorous or humorful or funny, you know. Often I may stop and tell a joke because it might fit that particular moment in time, but uh, I usually feed off of, or I have things I already do that I've already done and tested out and find out how they work. Is everyone funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, <we're-> no. <Nah. laughs> No, nah. I, I, they could be. I believe they could be. Some people try to be funny and just don't have the knack. Um, you know, I made a couple of distinctions in over over my over my life. We try to teach the best we can. People like, for example, if they're going to do presentation platform skills, we we do what we can to get them to be funny. And uh, most of them make it. Most of them make it. But I, I I connected a long time ago that if you have a sense of humor and vice versa. If you have a sense of humor, you're very flexible.
1: Okay, yeah and, if, and
0: if you're somewhat, yeah. and if you're somewhat flexible, then you have a good sense of humor. And then vice versa. The other thing, so now, if you're not very flexible, you probably don't have a good sense of humor. And if you don't have a good sense of humor, you're probably right. not very flexible, flexible in your own behavior, you know? And uh, so to me, to me, that gives me a good indication with someone. Um, the, other, the other category of people that I know, notice uh, noticed anyway, is that they tell jokes for them. So it's more like, I'm going to slight you, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to mock you and they're not really that funny. So there are people who will t- say something about the dick that gets personal or whatever the case is. And to them, you're supposed to laugh. But I've also found that these are people who are not good at laughing at themselves is one thing.
1: So okay. it's a more an aggressive act, is it? it, it yeah. it's sort of like putting down somebody else in order to make yourself sort of the, the big man.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the, and the other one I've noticed is so is they'll, is they'll tell a joke or they'll tell us they say something that's supposed to be funny and then they either laugh or snicker before you get a chance to they even yeah. laugh. So, so that tells me they're there to entertain themselves. <laughs> Like, I'm laughing now about something I just said about it. But if I were to do that in presentations and did it consistently like that, oh, my gosh, I don't know what the repercussions would be. So,
1: I mean, a lot of our audience, and, and you work with you know big businesses all over the world, and you advise them, and, and a lot of our audience um, are going to think, what can I take away from this? And I know you're a great man for ta- giving takeaways and things. And uh, how can anybody be slightly, not necessarily funnier, but slightly you know, better at getting rapport, better at, at connecting th- by using humour?
0: Uh, someone asked me one time, they said, to what do you contribute most of your success? both in business, getting deals you've gotten, contracts you've gotten, and in seminars. And you seem to take a lot of um, maybe unnecessary risks in, in doing things, but I also know you're somewhat successful. I said, well, I've learned very simply that I don't care. I just, I don't care. And I'm prepared to walk away and leave the deal on the table. So now that what that does is that gives people enough confidence that they're going to they're going to they're going to probably come back and get the deal. You know, if you've done a good job, rapport report is easy enough. I'm not talking about the body matching things. You know, report stuff is easy enough. Um, people don't go in if if they go in with their PowerPoint and they're all ready to show their slides and everything. They should they should stop and go do something else. You know. Uh, if they can't feed off the group and, and everything else, uh, when I've gone into business meetings, let's say I'm, going to go in with a, say, I'm going to go in with a group of executives. And I always make fun of them, by the way. I always make fun of the guys at top. Um, I, I always want to get in with, and, and some of them object to this, but I don't care. I said, I don't care, right? Is to get, I want to talk to their boss. Because that's ultimately where my contract comes from. Because if the guy, the guy hiring me, right. If he doesn't like what I'm doing, he can say, you're out, but I can say, excuse me, this is what your boss wants. You didn't get the message. So I'm actually helping you out, you know, but I've I've had that attitude where there's loads of business out there, you know, and I can choose who I want to work for, not work for or work with and everything else. And I think for people who have that, that confidence, I guess one might be part of that, that, uh, they're free to feel and be funny, you know, they just feel, the, yeah.
1: So I know that um, you and I have had this discussion over the years and that attitude is really important. What part does attitude play in, in, in great humor or great warmth or great connection?
0: Well, if I were to define the word attitude, okay, in its first literal meaning, okay, it comes from aeronautics, And it means the angle of approach. So how you begin your angle of approach with the person or people is going to demonstrate your attitude. And that sets everything up right from the get-go. So, because it comes from aeronautics. Everybody else talks about attitude and all the other extrapolations of the word and what it could mean and everything else. But I, I like to go back to the first original kind of meaning and then think... Now, how did it become what it is today? But it really comes out of angle of approach. That's what it is. So, what's what what's so? You and I first meet. What's my angle of approach with you, and what's your angle of approach with me? Okay, and that would demonstrate attitude. So, when people first say, "Well, I don't like your attitude," I'd say, "Which one?" Um, which gets them thinking different, differently. Anyway, right? Um, when I first meet people, you know, I meet people outside a seminar room. You know, and I might go up to them and say, hi. And they go, hi. And I go, are you having fun? And I want to know the answer to that question when I ask that. And they go, I go, are you having fun? And they go, well, I'm going to have fun later, but no, you're not having fun. I go, then you're, you're, you're then you're, or I'll ask them, are you having fun in your job? You know, and they say, mm, not really. I go, then you're probably not following the instructions because your boss keeps telling you he wants you to have a good time on your job and have fun you're probably gonna get fired for not having fun. Or, I, I mean, I ask a different question because I wanna find out how are they gonna to respond to me? You see, I don't want them to respond in any certain, you know, in a, in a narrow kind of a way. I wanna find out how they're gonna to respond to me, okay? And sometimes I don't introduce myself. I don't say, hi, I'm John Laval. I just go up to them and go, hi. Are you looking forward to this seminar? And they might answer a bunch of questions before they say, who are you anyway? Because I don't have a name tag. (laughs) Oh, I'm John Laval. And they go, oh, my gosh. And I go, oh, my gosh, what? I thought we were having a nice conversation here. You know, all of that, by the way, is to get them to relax, to relax a little bit, you know. And I like the attitude
1: being the angle of approach, because you're going to have to listen to know which angle of approach to take, don't you?
0: Well, depends on how you, how you start off with. I mean, to me, I'm always testing, so yeah. I wait to see what comes back. Have I blown it? Of course. You know, have I ever have I heard it go back and say, I, I was just joking around? You know, of course, of course, because I only have so many different ways I can put a test in there, you know, um, and I want to find out how much of a sense of humor you have or how much of a sense, how flexible can you be, okay? Um, I had a guy, uh, it was a company, was a, was a, got a big contract from it. He, uh, I was actually introduced to him by another consultant, okay? And the consultant said that they had brought in a big, I don't know who, could have been Anderson or one of those, and said, uh, you need to bring in somebody who doesn't know, they know nothing about your business. They know nothing about your product or services, but they know about selling, They can teach you to sell just about anything and they've got to be crazy and maybe a little bit of dangerous. In other words, they they, they can take your people and tip them over the edge of the cliff, but not let go except for the ones that might be worth letting go, you know? And, uh, and the guy said to me, when we Googled those criteria, he said, your name came up. (laughs) So I thought immediately, this guy's got a sense of humor. Now, by the way, he was from, he was from another country in Scandinavia. Okay. And some of those, they have their own different kinds of senses of humor, but the Danish are very close to the Americans in language and possibly, of course, even the English, because they they can translate very fast. They learn how to do it very quickly because the languages are very similar. The structure is anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so he said, um, he said, but I only have one question before I decide whether I'm going to bring you in or not. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, I hope this is not the American way of selling. And my answer to him was, my question back to him was, what does that mean? Because I, if, I'm, if I'm doing the American way of selling, I wouldn't call it that. So what is it? And he said, you guys, you go too fast, too quick. You get right to that bottom line. You know, and that's not going to work in Europe. And I said, okay, great. I Appreciate you telling me that. He said, okay, good. I said, but let me just, let me just finish now. You got to decide right now whether you want to hire me or not. Cause you know what? I got about five others on a hook. <laughs> and he said, so I said, so if you want to book it, get your, get your book out, get your date book out, get your pen, ink. Okay. And let's book the date. And he said, okay. And he did. And after it was all done, I flat out said to him, um, excuse me. Mr. Vice President, uh, I, thought the, I thought the American way of selling wasn't gonna work with you guys. He called me a son of a bitch, actually. He said, you son of a bitch. He said, how did you do that? I said, uh-uh-uh, not until the first check clears. <laughs> and he laughed again, just like that. But the next thing was when I, when I went on that gig, the first day, actually the first half day, I was put on in the afternoon. In the morning, they bored everybody. With the raising the company flag, you know, here's our five year plan. I told him, "What guys, what about a five year plan for man? You get one more nine one one happening, that plans out the window, you know." But okay, so I'm on in the afternoon, and he introduces me as the American cowboy. I don't know why. I have no idea. I didn't even worry about it. And I looked at the group, and they're all like this. And I thought, got to loosen this gang up. Now, prior to this, the guy says to me, because he gave, see, everybody gives me what I need. Said to me, oh, and you've, Paul, I'm sure you've had offers like this one. You booked the contract and then it's a, oh, by the way, can you also, okay. I I think they call that scope creep or something. Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, by the way, um, you know, these people are all from different countries. So... Uh, if you can get them to work together, uh, boy, I'd consider that a real bonus. I said, how much of a bonus? And he laughed. He said, no, 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 not like that. I said, oh yes, yes, yes. And he laughed. He said, well, let's see what you can do. I said, sure. Now I figured this was ultimately what he wanted. Ultimately, you know, it's always the, oh, by the way, you know, people write you an email at the bottom, it says, oh, an FYI, blah, blah, blah. Oh, also blah, blah. That's the whole email right there. Whatever they really want comes out, boop, you know, peeks out from under that crazy onion skin. So I start off and I look around and I say, okay, I'm gonna to have, to to have to give it my best shot because he told me, he said, this, I, want, I want one of these. If this goes good, I'm gonna want two more. I'm giving you 40 or 35 or 40 of my top managers. And uh, if you can make this happen, uh, I want two more of these. I said, sure. I looked around the class and I said, listen, we're going to be here for the next five days. We might as well get to know each other a little bit. And I looked around and I said, where are you from? And they said, uh, I'm from uh, Belgium. I go, Belgium? It's part of France, isn't it? <laughs> and they go, no. I go, I'm sorry. Part of Germany? I <laughs> go, no. I go, I'm sorry. I'm, you're one of those little Benelux countries. That's right. And of course, now they're steaming. I look around, I go to the Italians. I said, where are you from? I go, Italy. I go, Italy. Hmm. This was back a long time back. I said, when are you guys gonna change your money around? You gotta take a lot of those zeros off. 2,500 of anything to pay for a newspaper is stupid. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, and what's with that car, that Fiat? You guys gotta be kidding because they had the Fiat back then. I said, "You you know, that's an acronym for Fix It Again, Tony. And they laugh. And I go, you do have that other good car, though, that Testosterosa. And they go, you mean testosterone? I go, you've never driven one. It's a Testosterosa. <laughs> and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I go over to the, uh, the, the, to the Dutch. I go, where are you from? They go, Netherlands. I go, oh. I look over to the Germans. I say, when are you bringing back their bicycles? I do all this stuff that nobody else wants to talk about. Okay. Oh, Sweden. Where are you from? They go, Sweden. I go, oh, yeah, the neutral country. <laughs> and then there's typically somebody there from France, and there was somebody there from, a couple of from France, and they're going, psh, psh, psh. I said, excuse me, Francois, you have something to say while I'm speaking? And they go, well, you know, you're met again, so you think you know who you are. I said, oh, no, we know who we are. You've forgotten. You see, if it wasn't for us, you'd be speaking German today, isn't that right, France? And they jump in and go, yeah, and all this. And I thought, they're really getting pissed off now. It's time to take a coffee break. <laughs> and I said, why don't we take a quick break, okay? And coming back here in 12 minutes, whatever. They go out there and I see them all cahootsing. All and I'm thinking, boy, they're plotting and scheming, man. Nothing like becoming, you know, well, you know how it works. You know, take, the, yeah. take the divided and bring them all together against one enemy. And that was me. It was very purposeful, taking my chance. And uh, so I bring them all back. And I, and by the way, when they come back, now they're all mixed up where they're sitting before it was the Italians are here. The Germans are here. Now they're all mixed up talking to each other. We'll get this guy, five days with this guy. No way, we'll be lynching him by tomorrow. And I, then I said to them, "Oh, let me tell you about the Americans, by the way we're about the craziest and stupidest people going in the whole world because, you know and we get away with these things because you guys feel sorry for us, you know which is partly true by the way. <laughs> and then they all laughed and they thought huh, he got us. And we all had a great time for the next five days. I go to dinner that night with this vice president and uh, he's, his first line he was <laughs> sitting down with the consultant guy and we sit down at dinner and the, and the vice president says to me, which were the wrong words to begin with, at least initially, but he probably didn't know it. He says, I don't know what you think you're doing. And I thought, oh boy, here comes, you know, there's the, there's the door. He says, I don't know what you, think you're, what you think you're doing, but I want 35 more of these programs. Wow! And I looked at him and I said, I don't want to work that much. <laughs> and he said, we'll figure it out. So, yeah. so the guy happened to have a good sense of humor, you know, um, and he got what he wanted. But all that, and
1: <laughs> danger and pushing the boundaries is, is actually part of the gig, isn't it? And yes, that's, it the, you know, and having seen you work all, all over the world and, and the way you do it, that's I think, I mean, for our listeners to take away is be prepared to take chances you because that's take... where humour comes from is when you push the boundaries. Yep. And sometimes you're gonna go over the boundaries, but that's, you know, if you've got enough rapport at that point, you can bring it back. Here's something that I, I think that you and I uh, have discussed before, but we'll, uh, go into for our listeners is the fact that if you um, are never come out of your comfort zone, humorize you never learn anything. And a lot of people, I think, have been told as children that, you know, it's like Richard's thing about you can't sing or you, you can't hold a note. I think comedy is exactly the same. You're not funny. And people take it to heart. Could you just expand on that a little bit for me?
0: Yeah, I've I've never had anybody, even growing up, my mom loved my, I would tell her jokes. You know, we would all watch different TV programs when I was a kid, we watched Red Skeleton, you know. (laughs) Um, Johnny Carson, by the way, he had to be one of the best and he wasn't doing so much direct humor. He was very indirect. Um, And he would, uh, and he, he had anchoring down before he probably knew what that was. And he had a look on his face that he could, he could make, somebody, he, you know, he'd say something or he had somebody else to say something and he'd go like that and they'd laugh. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: he had that pretty well, pretty well down. As a matter of fact, he had, to, I forget who it was, it was Arnold Palmer's wife on there. And he said, um, he said what do you do uh, before he goes on a major tournament to, to, to encourage him? She goes, I kiss his balls for good luck. <laughs> Thinking Johnny was gonna be stumped and Johnny says, well, I bet that makes his putter rise. Um, nice. No, he was very quick. He was really quick. People have asked me, where's my comfort zone? And I usually say, you're in it. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do know where it is most of the time, but that's only with the police and uh, (laughs) people in major authority. Um, I think if I was to meet any major politicians or I've met loads of so many different people, you know, in higher upper positions, both in all kinds of ways, all kinds of formats, but I've always treated them, uh, like an equal. Um, I met Muhammad Ali once, um, this, this guy, and I tell people, he was not only a gentleman, he was a gentleman. Okay. And brilliant. The guy was just brilliant. He had a sense of humor, like no one else. I mean, he, it was just, it was his own. It was his own. And he knew how to pour it on. And I got to meet him once. I was on a long line. Was at a political thing, dinner, funny raising thing. And as I got closer to him, you know, he was signing autographs. I didn't care about autographs. And I got, and as I got up to him, before I could say anything, he looked up at me and he said, because he was sitting, I was standing. He he said, "You have a question on your mind, son." I said, "Yeah, I do." He said, "What's your question?" I said, "Well, first of all, let me just say you are the champ, man. You are the champ. You are the champ." I mean, listen. I got to tell you that the Norton did get you that one good one though. I got to tell you (laughs) joking around and he looked at me and he kind of gave me this little, you know, wince look like you had to bring that up. And he kind of, he kind of snickered a little bit and said, yeah, but I got him back. And I said, yeah, you did. And he said, so what's your question? And, uh, and I got to ask my question. And he spent, I'd say he spent, probably spent a good six, seven minutes, uh, with me. And there were still people behind me, but this was a guy who had, a fantastic sense of humor. He had to, you know. That's yeah. the other thing. You know, if you're if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna be, if you're gonna be bold and brazen in your own career and whatever else you do, you better be able to take hits. And uh, I've told people the same thing. If you can't laugh at yourself, everyone else will do it for you. And you better get used to this because. And why not? Uh, when I talk about New Jersey and this and that and the other thing, I'm making fun of me in a in a different way so people know it's okay
1: well that's that's brilliant so i mean i think and for our listeners to take away you know being able to laugh at yourself is crucial to this because you know if you if you haven't got a sense of humor about yourself how can you actually make it about somebody else what would the world be like without humor john london Hold on, I'm here.
0: I can't, I can't help it. You know that. It's just uh you give it to me, man. You feed me the, you feed me <laughs> the line. Feed me the line. Um, it'd be uh, it'd be brutal. It really would. I mean, I mean just the things that are going on are, are not we're not going in the right direction. Let me just say that. Uh, at least, you know, people don't even find many things funny. We've 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 all but gotten rid of political. Uh, The political correctness seems to have taken over a whole bunch of things. And uh, I don't really care about political correctness. I don't, like I said, I don't care. That's my, that's one of my modus operandi right there. I don't care. And uh, I've had people say, well, you know, you can't say that. I go, well, it's kind of late. I just did. Um, It already came out and they go, well, I don't like it. I go, you don't have to.
1: You need to live that life to actually understand and connect with people and to broaden your horizons. And by the way, your time, you know, you and I constantly make mistakes. We're just absolutely. You know, <laughs> Well, well, no, we, you know that's you know I look forward to making stuff. I always say when I'm I'm training sort of executives to go on stage and deliver a big conference speech or something, I'm going look forward to stuff going wrong, and you would say the same thing because that's when you're going to have the fun. That's when it's going to humanise you. That's when you're going to people are going to go, he's a real person. I was, I, because I'm such a fan of, um, your book, Persuasion Engineering, um, I wondered if there was any connection with what we're saying, uh, whatever you're selling, you're always selling feelings, you know, whether that's comfort or safety, is, is humor involved in that, selling that feeling of, of lightness or, or,
0: well, what it is, is when people give you criteria, in other words, if you said, you know, uh, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What is it you want? And they say, well, let's say a car dealership. And they go, well, I, I'm looking at new cars. And, uh, you know, and I say, well, what's important to you in there? They go, oh, I want a blue one. I want this kind of an interior. I want the stereo system and everything else. Those words alone, okay, represent a feeling, especially if I say what's important. It, it immediately logs into their brain. Okay, and they go, what I really want is this, you know. Um, not be too complicated, but then the in our language, anyway, we teach with our, our, our NLP things or Then there's modal operators in there. And that could tells me the strength of the word, you know? So if you said, I want this, I need this, or I'd like to have that, those all have a different strength to them. Okay. So those words have a feeling associated with them. So what people tend to do, and I've, I've, I've had this in the book, uh, I think paraphrasing is an insult to people when they say, oh, so basically what you're saying, no, that's not basically what I'm saying. I've done this in court because, you know, the lawyers try to turn it around. Okay. So I could say, yes, I know Paul Boros. And I go, so basically what you're saying is you've been, no, 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 that's not what I said at all. I said, I happen to know Paul Boros. If you don't, if you forgot what I said, have the lady over there read back to you. She's doing the court thing, you know, the, the transcripts. Um, and, I, I, and let me tell you why this is. So in our brains, you know, we have all these nice words in there and whatever's and nobody really knows how they get in there. They, they know a lot of other things, but they don't know how the words, how does a word get in a per- particular spot in your brain? They don't know. I've asked doctors, I've asked neurosurgeons. I go, so I'm little, I grown up, maybe I'm, I'm six months old. My parents are walking me down the street and they see a dog and they go, oh, look, a dog. I look over at the dog. I now have a picture of a dog. I don't even have the word. I only have the sound, dog. I don't have the word dog because I'm not. I'm you know I'm six months old. How does that thing know where to go? Boom in my brain. They don't know. They don't know. I said that's fair. That's that's okay. So if I so the whole basis of rapport has a lot to do with not just body matching but matching certain things. Not everything, but certain things. So if I were to go in, and I've, I've done this before, um, I worked with a company in the US, their second, uh, second largest build home builder in the US back in the early nineties. And uh, so somebody would come in and they'd say, what can I do for you? They go, I'm looking for a home. And they go, okay, well, what do you want in your new home? They go, well, let's say, for example, I, I, I need three bedrooms. I want two full baths. I also want a large family room and a large living room. Oh, we like to have a fireplace and the outside patio deck and they'd say, okay, let me see if I got it now, because I would teach them, and let's pace it back. And you go, okay, so so you want to have three, three at least three bedrooms where people can sleep. Well, that's not saying th- I need three bedrooms. You're going to match it back, baby. You better match it back, yeah. because if they need three bedrooms, first of all, the word need just by itself means it's really not going to be that negotiable. Okay, you might have four, but you ain't giving them two, right? Yeah. That's not happening. So, so that whole idea... Is about, is about giving back those words.
1: Yeah, and and what do people want in life? They, you know, people will say, saying, I want to have more fun. You go, well, <laughs> well, book John Laval as yeah, right. soon as you like.
0: Right.
1: I was going to ask you a question of what do people, you've worked in workplaces all over the world. Do people have enough fun or laugh enough in the workplace?
0: They're not, they're, if, only if they're allowed. So it comes from the
1: top. So it's leadership needs to do that.
0: I've often wondered how can, let's say the guy at the top, screw up a company in a day, in a day, and it could take them three, four, five years to build it back up. How does this happen? I I had the pleasure of working for uh, a corporation, of course, And maybe I would say five, maybe five guys. They were executives that I actually enjoyed working with. I didn't report to them. I might've been a couple of levels down, whatever. Um, And they were tough. They were tough. But if I got in trouble, not serious trouble, they go, come on in the office, go to the board, draw out what happened, tell me what happened, set out the strategy, blah, blah, blah but they did it in a fun way. And they, and I never asked for help from them. They took me under their wing. Uh, The last guy I worked for was vice president. He came from world headquarters. His his reputation was the hatchet man because his job was slicing heads. So we went through a merger and acquisition. So he shows up and he says, I'm your new boss. My name is Len. He said, and tomorrow we have, you have a 30 minute meeting with me. Okay. Points and he goes around points points to me first, you, seven o'clock, you're at 7.30. Boras, you're at eight o'clock, you know, you're at 8.30, next one, eight, right? And then he walks out, he leaves, goes home for the day. And everybody's like, oh my God, we're gonna lose our jobs. We're gonna get fired. And they looked at me and they said, you're first. Oh my God, are you worried? I said, no, no, I'm not a worrier. I was looking for a job when I came, I'll be looking for one when I leave. So, eh, how bad could it be? And so I went in the following morning, I was there about 15 minutes early, and uh, he was already there and he says, oh, you're here early. I said, yeah, I beat the traffic, everything else. He goes, oh, you want to get started? I said, sure. He goes, all right, come on, come on to your office. I go in there and he says, um, he says, I'll tell you right now, I hear a lot of good things about you, but I don't know that I'll be keeping you. And I said, that's okay. He said, what? I said, that's okay. I was going to say to him, are you deaf? But I didn't, I didn't want to go that far. And I said, I said, that's okay. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, why is that? I said, well, listen, you've heard a lot of good things about me. I have not heard a lot of good things about you. Uh-huh. I did. And I said, wow. and, quite fr- and quite frankly, I have no idea where you're taking this ship. And he sat back like this, looked at me, sizing me up, I guess, you know, running through his, this is a new one thing. And he looks at me and he says, well, this is going to be an interesting interview, isn't it? I said, it already has been, hasn't it? And he looked at me and he said, huh, if I were to decide to keep you, what would I have to do to manage you? And I said, well, that, that depends. He, hooked, he took the hook. They're not used to this. They're not used to being interviewed themselves. Mm. He took the hook. I said, I said, that depends. He goes, on what? I go, what do you truly value in the people that you manage? And he gave it to me. He said, I like self starters. I don't want to have to manage people. I want them to complete their projects. I want them to deliver, the, you know, something to, to the bottom line kind of thing, you know, not just pissing money out the door, yada, yada, yada. And I said, Oh, okay. And I waited. He goes, so tell me about yourself. Okay. I'm a self starter. You don't have to manage me. <laughs> I did just like that. <laughs> Painted it back, but he missed it. He didn't, I mean, he got, and he, 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 he didn't say, Oh, you're repeating me. No, no, went right over his head like a giraffe's fart. I say, <laughs> and, and so he said, okay. And he, anyway, he said, I'll let you know what we're going to, and he kept me. Well, but the,
1: then we go back to two things. We go back to humour, we go back to listening. And actually that's one of the things uh, that uh, I, I think you probably taught me that this many, many years ago, that actually just repeating the stuff back. they People will tell you everything, but the main problem is that people are so far inside their own heads of, I've got to make a good impression. I've got to do this, and just listen. And, and if there's any takeaway from this that is golden, and there's so much golden stuff in here with it's, you, John, it is the listening is, is crucial, both to humor and both to sales.
0: I did tell um, this guy, I did tell this guy by I said, listen, you can't just like ignore me. You better stick your head in my office every couple of weeks. I'm the training guy. Make sure that I'm, I'm doing my job because, you know, I'm a training guy. I mean, I could have been doing all kinds of crazy weird things. He takes me out for my first performance appraisal. He says, on, we've got to do your performance appraisal. I said, well, we don't really have to, but OK, come on. So go to a restaurant. And he, was, he, liked to, he liked putting them down. So he p- puts down the first one and looks at me. And he says, ordered or waiting. He says, so? He said, well, let's, let's start your performance appraisal. I said, sure. He goes, how am I doing? I go, what? He said, how am I doing? I said, I thought this was my performance appraisal. He said, it is. I said, oh, well, you're doing great. Um, you stick your head in my office every few weeks and go, what are you up to? Um, you let me have my run out of place, blah, blah, blah. And then this is when I realized what a sense of humor he had. And then he said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I'm probably gonna leave, I don't know when, you know, I'll go out on my own, be a consultant. He said, well, you'll probably be a decent one, pretty good one. He said, how can I help you? And I thought, oh my God. And I said, you want to get rid of me already? You're gonna, I mean, he said, no, no, no. I want to know how I can help you to go out and build your own business. So that, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it was great. It was the greatest thing. He said, um, because I don't want you to leave so quick. So, but I'm, I'm happy to guide you along, you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I did that for probably three, four years. Do you know, I, I
1: I think that's really important for our listeners as well, too, because um, uh, it's all about relationships. <laughs> And how do you develop your relationships? You have a similar sense of humour, bonds people. You have relationships. Other people were thinking about what they wanted and what they could get and everything. But uh, really, if you concentrate on the relationship, everything else comes from it. Yeah, yeah. Right, if I asked you to write a business case
0: for humour, what would you include? Oh boy, I don't know. Let me see if I had to write a business case. how there's a few of them. I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to think of, was I, was, I doing the, was I doing the selling? Was I the recipient in a business environment? You well, no,
1: you're, selling, you're selling why um, a, a CEO should um, pay you and me to come in and uh, introduce more humor into the workplace. What's the <laughs> business
0: case? <laughs> After I left this company, where this president was that everyone loved, okay? And he said to me, what do you think I can do to be more effective as the president and CEO of this company? And I thought, hmm, he was really very good. People loved the guy. I said, Mike, listen, you're really good at what you're doing, man. You listen, you go out, you touch base with the people, you know, everybody, you know, their families, you know, who's got kids, you know, Joey's playing baseball, Mary's playing uh, football or soccer, whatever. So what do you think? What do you think I can do? I said, well, I think if you do a couple of these things, just a little bit more, I think you'd be doing great. And he said, you know, now that I'm paying you all this fucking money as a consultant, um, I got another question for you. I said, what's that, Mike? He said, how come you haven't told me this before? I said, number one, I have. And two, you never really asked. I said, but boss, listen, when I'm an employee, you might give me half an ear. But now that you're paying money and you've got to account for that, now you pay more attention. What can I tell you? And he said, so you're telling me I should pay more attention? I said, to the employees, <laughs> not to the guys like me. They love this guy. And, and most of them didn't know what to do when he'd joke around. He'd walk around. He'd, he'd walk through the office at 6 o'clock and say, Paul, you're still working here. You say, oh, yeah, I have a lot to do. And he'd say, huh, really? Let me ask you a question. First of all, you know, I pay you for it to get your job done in an eight-hour day. So the only reason you would have more work to do is either you can't do your job in the eight hours I give you, or your boss is piling too much work on you. Which one is it? <laughs> Nice yeah. bind, right? Oh yeah, and most yeah. people would say, most people would say, oh, "Well, you know, my boss," you know. And I go, "Thank you, Mike. Got it." You know, and I learned a lot about that business relationship and how to do that. Um, I did learn a lot of that from him. So, and
1: is that really the return on investment that companies, if they get more humor or humanity into their their business, that's the return on investment, is it not?
0: Yes, it is. And and I think they don't even they don't they don't know that they don't realize it and they would never what well, the first thing they'd say is well well how do you quantify that especially to finance people how do you how do you quantify that return on investment and I'd say you got to watch the numbers baby got to watch the numbers they go which ones I go oh let's start with um, let's start with absenteeism let's start with turnover
1: retention you know,
0: retention I had a one 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 boss came to me well I was actually I was a consultant again. And uh, it was the same company, because I was doing work for them, said to me, you know, these two departments, typical in a manufacturing environment, production and maintenance, uh, engineers. You know, the engineers saying, your guys are always breaking our stuff. And all the production people saying, your guys don't know how to fix stuff. But now the supervisors, I call them stupid advisors, supervisors and the managers, well, because a lot of people make it that way because they're doing a great job on their job. Not because they want to lead people. You know, why would you take the best guy in the job and take him off the job? And they don't want to go for the job. They don't want to manage people, you know? So I said to him, I said, okay, I have an idea. He said, what's that? I said, I'll take all the guys out of the plant. Um, we'll go to a hotel for a week, five days. He goes, Oh, that long? I said, sure. He said, who's going to run the place? I said, you want, you want to fix these guys up? I got I really got to work them hard. Come on. And he said, uh, well, who's going to run the place? I said, the union. He said, what? I said, the union. He said, that's not going to happen. I said, I'll bet you. He said, you're crazy. I heard that a lot too. I said, yeah, I am, but that's got nothing to do with this. I go, let me deal with the union. Okay? He says, go ahead, have at it. So I went and talked to the union guys. I said, hey, guys, you think you can run the place if none of the managers are here? They said, you're kidding, right? I said, I'm going I'm to depend on you. Because I'm taking them all out to the hotel. I have no idea what I'm going to do with them. I might knock their heads together a little bit, uh, get some sense into them. I don't know. Maybe I'll have them build, play with little building blocks on the floor. I don't know. They're all laughing. You guys are laughing. Mm-hmm. And I said, so, uh, but I said, I'm telling those guys, they cannot call you at all to find out how things are running. If they do, you say, John said you're not supposed to call and you hang up on them. And then you call me. Here's my home number. So I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, you call me. I'm not gonna go back and say, hey, Charlie said, don't worry, guys, I'm from New Jersey, come on. You know, we don't see nothing, we don't hear nothing, we don't say nothing, you know? And so they did it for the week. A Couple of the supervisors, they were calling in the plan, how are we running? They said, John said not to call, Ben, okay? And hang up and they call me go, Billy called. I said, thanks, just so I know. Never said anything, anything of him. Imagine this, that, they ran to to superb to, 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 to say superb is an understatement besides breaking all production records all scrap records you know throwaway stuff reducing right no absenteeism no no lateness these guys were, the union knows and they come to go hey paul not this week don't you show up late this week don't you stop, you know me. I'll send Bubba to pick your ass up at your house. Don't you, don't, don't even try it. You better be here every day, but they did. And, uh, and here's the next, next, next part. No injuries, and the best one, no equipment breakdown. Now, I thought there were probably a few. They didn't write them down. They probably weren't major ones. I, I don't care, I don't really, I don't care. And the president, that same guy, Mike, comes in at the end of this five days and says, uh, hey, how'd you guys like John? Uh, He worked with you this week, you guys learn anything? Oh yeah, John's a great guy. I'm thinking half of them are full of crap. And uh, he said, so I heard you guys broke all kinds of production records back there. You did this, you did this, the people did this, the people did this, the people did this, the people did did that. And they said, yeah, he said, so I have a question for you to think about over the weekend. What do I need you for? And he turned (laughs) around and he walked out
1: Well, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question that um, I'm pretty sure there's going to be an answer having (laughs) known you for a while. Um, Have you ever taken a joke too far and crossed the line,
0: John? Of course. (laughs) I was asked, I, I was asked, I was asked on two occasions. The first one was when my dad passed away and my mom asked me to do the eulogy. Why? I don't know. And as I started off the eulogy, cause I make everybody laugh, this is in a church. Okay. I looked down and there's my mom like this. <laughs> what did I ask my son to do this for? Um, because the one thing was, especially my dad was, my dad, he, he, he had a pretty good sense of humor and he would always do anything he could to have people have a good time, laugh, or anything like this, that was that. And he never got real recognition for that, except people saying, wow, dinner was really good. So I made everybody stand up and applaud my dad in the church. Yeah, I said, my dad deserves applause. So how about all of you get off your butts, the priest is laughing, by the way, get off your butts, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then the second one was when my mom passed away and my, my sister said to me, um, Would you do the eulogy? And I said, you were at dad's eulogy. Are you sure you want me to do mom's eulogy? And she said, I know you thought mom didn't appreciate that when you did dad's eulogy, that she didn't really like it, but she loved it. She wasn't going to show you that she loved it. And she said to me, anything ever happens to me, please ask John to do my eulogy. And I said, well, there's a compliment for you. But yes, I have taken jokes too far. My wife um, said to me, uh, we came back from our honeymoon and I was married once before for a short time. And uh, my wife said to me, and this is in front of her department of people, you know, she worked in research and development at the time and said to me, uh, everybody says, how was your honeymoon? And I said, oh, it was great. She goes, oh, yeah, I go, oh, it was really, really good. And she looked at me, she goes, well, you at least had two. And I said, trust me, honey, the first one's always the best. And then said, oh shit, because I meant hers was the first one. (laughs) And she just kind of looked at me and I went, oh honey, you know what I meant? And of course she played it up at that point. She goes, no, I don't. Why don't you explain it to all of us? You know?
1: Well, actually on the the converse of that, have you ever gotten yourself out of trouble by using humor? Because you got yourself into trouble, that's obvious, but have
0: you got yourself out? Probably, probably with the police. Probably. Tell me. First of all, the last 14 times or 15 times, I counted it, I think it was 15, last 15 times I was pulled over by the police, I only got one ticket. So I've managed to get out of the other 14. And those, by the way, were with the New Jersey State Police. They're They're pretty tough. But they're very understanding they truly are they're not out to bust you they're looking for drugs and they're looking for drunk drivers you know speeders if you're going a little bit too fast they're going to pull you over probably give you a good lecture of the, or they're going to give you a ticket depending on your attitude okay um and i tell the story i almost got shot once by a state trooper okay yeah it would have been my fault but my mom would have been really pissed off because i didn't do anything wrong as i get out of my car he was I was doing about 115. Um, and he radioed ahead because he was already giving somebody else a ticket. And he radioed ahead, another car was up there waiting for me, and I had my friends in the car, so we were and I slowed down. As I got like, out of my car, my jacket pocket got stuck on the door handle. And as I turned around, it looked like I was going for a gun in my back, in my back of my pants. And as I turned around, I heard in slow motion, you know. Did you know, I don't know if you know much about guns, but, you know, we, we have them here in the U.S., you know, that's ah, right. that the barrel of a 357 is about this big when it's in your face, you know, and, uh, and I could hear him slow motion saying, freeze, and then he called me a name. Um, so, but he taught me some things. He said, you know, I could have shot you. I said, I said to him, I said, my mother would have been really pissed off. My birthday's in a few days, man, you know, but that's not the one. The one was where I was going fast. It was at nighttime and I learned something about brains too at this, at this moment. And I was going a little fast. I passed a tractor trailer. Nobody was around except for the state trooper who was right behind me, but didn't have, didn't even have his headlights on. Okay. And as I passed the truck, I was probably doing about 80 in a 60. So, you know, something like that. And all of a sudden, boom, there's the light show. Okay. Luckily, I knew enough to pull over, but I couldn't, I really could not think much past that really. It shocked my brain. Had he come up from behind me, I think it would have been different, but he was right. I mean, he probably could have, he probably could have spilled my tail lights. bam, all the lights on. I said, oh shit. And I pulled over and he comes over to the car. He says, uh, you know how fast you were going? I said, not now, I don't. And he said, what does that mean? I said, may I be blunt? He said, please. And I said, you scared the living shit out of me. He said, what? He said, have you been drinking? I said, no. He says, where are you coming from? I said, "I I don't know. He said, you don't know where you're coming from. I said, no, you're doing drugs. I said, no. He said, well, and you don't know how fast you were going. I said, no, I don't, I'm sorry. I was trying to get home. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. He said, okay, so you know where you're going. You don't know where you've been and you don't know how fast you were driving. I said, no, that's it. Sorry. He said, step out of the car. I said, sure. He goes, go sit down on the guardrail. I said, okay. He said, I'm gonna leave you alone for about five minutes. He said, maybe you can get your memory back. And I said, I'm gonna tell you again, officer, this is the truth. You scared the shit out of me. As soon as everything went on, my brain stopped. I said, I don't know how to explain that to you, but my brain stopped. Not like I went, oh my God, I'm getting pulled over. Oh no, I was like, and he waited five minutes. He just stood there like this, watching me, looking at me, looking at my eyes, you know? He said, how you doing? I said, I'm f- after five minutes, I said, I'm, I'm, f- I'm doing better now. He said, okay. He said, you know how fast you were going? I said, no, but I know I was going fast because I had to pass that tractor trailer, you know? And they go fast to begin with, but I didn't see anybody else around except you <laughs> when you put on the light show. And he said, yeah, 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 I know. Where are you coming from? I said, oh, I'm coming from Upsala College. I was doing, I was teaching a class for a friend of mine. He said, oh, good. What's your friend's name? I said, my friend's name is this. He said, okay. He said, can I call him? I said, sure. He said, you have their number? I said, sure. Here's my cell phone. He said, all right, I believe you. You know, he said, um, and he starts laughing right away. He goes, I really scared the shit out of you, huh? I said, well, not literally, you know. <laughs> and he said, oh, that's good. He said, all right, I'm going to tell you what. We'll just slow down a little bit like that. And he just laughed. He more like chuckled, more like chuckled. And I said, yes, officer, you know, no problem.
1: The fact that you got away with it 14 times out of 15 shows that you are a master of rapport and humor. And that's what, I love that, the the fact that you can use it in real life as well as in business. We're gonna go to the last part of the show, which is called Quick Fire Questions.
0: Quick Fire questions. Questions.
1: Okay, who's the funniest person in business that you've met?
0: Oh boy, me. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer and no, really you're, quick you're, fire. You're, you're pretty funny yourself. So oh, you're,
1: you're, you're very kind, but I, I'm, a, I'm a, can I just be a close second to you?
0: No. <laughs> and you laughed again. That's okay. You're so kind. <laughs> what book makes you laugh? Probably The Godfather. Godfather makes you laugh. Hell, a movie makes me laugh.
1: It, it, it's a comedy to you, is it? For coming from Jersey, that's a comedy. It's
0: it's it's, it's like, yeah, of course, ha <sighs> ha. You know, I don't know. I used to read. I used when I was a kid. I used to read a lot, voraciously. But most of those were biographies or autobiographies. I'm
1: not sure that Mario Puzo is going to actually want that on the cover. The funniest book I've ever read, The Godfather.
0: I'd write it for him if he asked. <laughs> what film makes you laugh? The Godfather. <laughs> there, was a, no, there, was a, there was a film out in the 60s that was really probably one of the funniest movies. I don't even know why. I just remember, and I've seen it more than once or twice or five times was. It's a mad, 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 mad world. It had a load of stars in it, and uh, it was just funny. I laughed. I laughed. Oh, what word makes you laugh, John? I think I think the one that comes to mind. I could probably think of a few, but the one that comes to mind is the word "can't." <laughs> if somebody says to me, "You can't do that," or "I can't do that," in other words, if they said, "I can't do that," I'd laugh. Mm. Um, if they say, "You can't do that," I really laugh because usually the reason they say it is I've already done it. And I think that they they just, instead of saying, Why did you do that? or How come you did that? they just say, You can't do that. I go, I did it already. You know, you can't ask that question. I go, Well, it's too kind of too late because the words already come out.
1: Okay, we're going to slightly serious tone on on the next quickfire question. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no, but but (laughs) what's not
0: funny? Man, people not Just not respecting because that's 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 you're never sure because they're not respecting, but people disrespecting other people. Um, and I have a solution to that so that I can laugh if they ever do it. Um, especially when it comes to all this racism stuff and you know, you know, name it sexual harassment stuff and all those things, you know, whatever. And uh, I, I, I propose to any judge. Who's watching this at one time or another? That they take this very small little bit of advice for me as my idea, and before you sentence someone for any of those crimes, have them get their DNA done. Find out what's in their blood.
1: Oh yeah, that's. I know. I completely agree. Actually, I, I think that we're we're all a mishmash of uh, uh, of everything. Yeah. Would you rather be considered clever or funny?
0: Well, I'd rather be considered one or the other. Hmm. I think I'd rather be considered as funny because then it's easier to be clever. Ah,
1: And I actually, uh, funny enough, I um, believe that in order to be funny, you have to be clever.
0: Yes. Yes. I learned learned a long time back that the saying is, the saying is, uh got it from Richard that the best place to hide the forest is in a tree. <laughs> yeah. So let let that sizzle around in there for I mean, a, it's a, while. It's a All our <laughs> listeners
1: are going, hold on, and, and everything. And they've all gone into deep trance now. We're well, in a good way. Um, okay, the final question on uh, this edition of the Humorology podcast is de- desert island gags you can only take one joke with you to a desert island. What is that joke, John?
0: First thing I think about is who am I going to tell this to? (laughs) But one of my all-time favorites is about Mickey Mouse. And this is a joke, not humor. Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse were getting divorced. And they are in court. And after a bunch of months in court and everything else, the judge comes back and says to Mickey Mouse, he says, Mickey, I'm really sorry, we've sent Minnie Mouse for all kinds of psychological tests. We've sent her to NOPERS. We've sent her to EMDers. We've sent her to you-name-its. We've sent her for all kinds of testing. And contrary to what you're claiming, Minnie Mouse is not crazy. And Mickey said, Your Honor, I didn't tell you she was crazy. I told you she's fucking goofy. (laughs) Beautiful. You want to put that in your, in your podcast?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh <laughs> no, my, that
0: stays in. It's, it's, that one, stays of my, in. it's, it's one of my all time favorites.
1: <laughs> oh, it's genius. And John, you're one of my all time favorites. You're a brilliant person, a brilliant raconteur Thanks. and no, a brilliant friend. <laughs> Thank you so much
0: for <laughs> being you. on the Humorology podcast. Sure bet. You bet. My pleasure being here. And uh, loads of respect for you, man. Seriously.
1: The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth. Creative direction by Les Hughes. And additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky Production.